Edwin, I've never met someone who gets more hurt in their own bedroom than you. Well, well, Craig. Your own bedroom sounds like it's an obstacle course by all the swearing you do and all the complaining and kvetching you do about literally walking behind your bed and turning something on. I don't want to start any blood feuds in Hollywood, but I genuinely think that uh, Tom Hardy may have stolen his performance as Mad Max and Fury Road from Edwin in terms of the grunts and noises. Secret Movie Clubbers, and welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 61. Today, we are going to continue our ongoing series about pieces of cinema, a sometime series we're doing amongst uh, the other topics we talk about. Today, we're talking about screenwriting. It's funny, I once heard a director who I, I, I won't name, but a director said kind of dismissively that if screenplays were movies, then they should just thread up the screenplay in the projector. And I thought, A, that was kind of a thing to say. And then two, that totally misunderstands the importance of screenplays, in my opinion, to a, a successful final product. Anyway, who is with us today? Hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connor, the people's champion. And color me shocked that a director was being dismissive about the screenplay. <laughs> well, America, I'm just standing on my bed doing nothing. And hungry. So announcements for this week. By the time you listen to this on Friday, Secret Movie Clubbers, that night we'll be doing a double bill of The Age of Innocence and The Magnificent Ambersons on 35mm at the Secret Movie Club Theater. I hope you will come out to see Magnificent Ambersons. To this day, I'm still sort of surprised how people know of it, but not a lot of people have seen it. It's Orson Welles' second movie. It, it, many people look at it as the Rosetta Stone, although I don't know that, that this is really true. The Rosetta Stone of why the rest of Orson Welles' career was the way it was, which was scrapping for money, shooting movies as he could, acting to get money, never again getting the budget he got on Kane until he did Touch of Evil. But basically, Kane and Touch of Evil were the only times in his career he got really big budgets. But Amberson's, in my opinion, and I love Kane, it is every inch as good as Kane, and everyone should see it. But I'll talk about it more another time. Saturday, we are doing the Indiana Jones, the first three movies of the Indiana Jones series, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, all on archive 35mm prints from Paramount. That's at the Million Dollar Theater. Next week on Friday, we are going to be doing Airplane, Top Secret, and The Naked Gun by the Zucker Abrams team, and then just Zucker on Naked Gun, but all on 35 from Paramount. And then uh, next Saturday, June 26th, the last Saturday of June, this is not fully confirmed yet, so I probably should hold off the announcement, but I can at least say this, because this part of it is confirmed. We are going to continue with our Kubrick series. So we are going to be doing at least two Kubricks. In fact, I can name one right now. What am I saying? One was for sure confirmed. We are absolutely doing Barry Lyndon. So Barry Lyndon on 35 millimeter is happening June 26th. And then we have two others that we've confirmed the prints. I just want to do the right thing and wait till I get the official confirmations before I say anything. And lastly, maybe most importantly, we just announced a few minutes before we started to record the Secret Movie Club and Channel 35 Short Film Festival 2021. For anybody who remembers last year when COVID hit in April, we called for submissions because we thought, F it, let's just make shorts and not let COVID get us down. You guys turned in 20 amazing shorts, including Edwin, who's on the podcast, did a short that got on. And you all observed the rules of COVID and embraced the limitations, which is exactly what you got to do in cinema. And it always, almost always produces greater creativity. Well, this year, we're going to make this a regular annual thing. We're going to do a short film festival every year. This year, the submissions are going to be due July 12th, which is a Monday by midnight. Uh, the rules are the theme is Los Angeles. 
Angeles rises. So there is a theme. You can interpret that however you want. But like I said on our on our website, if you turn in a short that takes place in New York City and doesn't mention L.A. at all, it probably won't get picked. But the theme is Los Angeles Rises. It needs to be five minutes or fewer. We want this to be a level playing field. So we're asking everybody to spend no more than $200 on your budget. And then lastly, just make sure everything that goes into your short is licensed, clearable, or in the public domain. So in other words, if you use the Rolling Stones brown sugar and you did not license it, you could have the most amazing short in the world. We cannot use it because we're going to select 12 shorts. And those 12 shorts are actually going to get played on Channel 35 for a year. And the filmmakers are going to come to the Channel 35 studio, get interviewed, and that intro and your short is on TV for a year and you get paid a hundred bucks, which is not a lot of money, but we want to reward people. I mean, it's a lot of money for a lot of us. I mean, that feeds my family for a week. But in terms of putting your you know blood, sweat, tears, heart and soul into a short, it's just a start. But we want to respect you guys. So there you go. And you can write us, as always, at community at secretmovieclub.com. You can go to our website, secretmovieclub.com for all of this. And uh, there you go you go. Today, uh, we're talking about another piece of cinema in our Pieces of Cinema series. That is screenwriting. I have a very personal attachment to this one because I started out as a writer. Actually, before I was a director, I was writing from when I was like four years old. And I've always, always been a writer. And so I have a lot of empathy, sympathy for how important I think writing is. And now as a writer, director, filmmaker, it just blows me away when I hear people dismissively talk about writing. And it doesn't happen a lot. I think most people actually really value and honor the screenplay. A lot of people, I know a lot of actors won't sign on to something unless the screenplay is good. Now, there's some filmmakers who always just feel like, well, the screenplay, I got to show people a screenplay, but we're going to basically on the set improvise and come up with the story. And that's totally valid. A number of amazing films have been created that way, including a number of Altman movies. But I would be more in the camp of people who feel your screenplay has to be amazing because it's what's going to get the whole crew on board. It's what's going to communicate your vision better than anything else as a dynamite screenplay. Advice that a lot of people give is if you want to be a director, you better be a writer because not a lot of people are going to be like, hey, I'm going to entrust this great screenplay with you. Sometimes that happens, but you better be able to come up with your own material. If you want to make your own shorts, you want to make your own features. Connor, you went to school for screenwriting, right? I did. I went to the American Film Institute. I have technically have a master's in screenwriting. I mean, it is. It's the blueprint. It's for the movie. It's the first thing you have to do to get the movie in motion. Obviously, there's all these other things along the way. You know, a good screenplay can totally get buried in a bad production. But a bad screenplay is only going to get so elevated by a good production. You're only going to be able to elevate a bad screenplay up to a certain point. But it is also, it is this huge, wide range of stuff, you know. Because screenplay writing for yourself, if you're writing like a script that you know you're going to shoot, is so much different than, you know, spec writing. Which spec writing, if people know, is when you write scripts in order to get jobs, usually to write other scripts. And then that's going to be even different than writing for other people. Because in something like spec writing, you know, Shane Black was famously very good at this. He did a lot of editorializing, which some people will say you shouldn't do in screenplays. But it really just depends. If you're trying to get a job then what you're trying to do is you're trying to show how good you are. And if you're trying to show how good you are, you need to separate yourself. And so editorializing is actually a good thing 
where you put little like funny comments or whatever as long as it's appropriate obviously if you're writing you know schindler's list i never heard that so he made it a fun read yeah exactly if, when you're writing for spec that's its own thing almost it's almost it's entirely its own art form because you're not really writing as a blueprint for a movie you're writing as here's this like you're trying to flash them you're trying to dazzle them you're trying to be like look how smooth this is written and look how enjoyable it is it's almost like a sizzle reel i know our audience probably knows shane black but you know he's now directed a number of movies kiss kiss bang bang iron man 3 the nice guys but he got his start as an actor and a writer and he did punch-ups of predator and he wrote Lethal Weapon. Famously, I forget which movie this is, but I have the quote. He wrote in a script description of a home, the kind of house that I'll buy if this movie is a huge hit. This is a really <laughs> great place to have sex. Which is obviously, if you're writing for a director or even for yourself, you don't necessarily need that kind of stuff because it's excess. It's the kind of thing that a director would maybe get annoyed at because it's kind of like indicating in certain ways. But if you're writing for spec and you're trying to get a job, it's kind of great because then it makes you stand out gives it some flavor you actually picked up on something i think is so important in filmmaking which is that you don't get to make the movie unless you get people to give you money and you pass certain gatekeepers now sometimes you do sometimes you just make it on your own but that is an intelligence you talked about like who's reading this and who are the people I need to get on my side to do my thing? And if you're stubborn or selfish or I'm not going to do that, you're not going to go anywhere. And one of the things I learned early on was I was somebody who tended to write tons of description. I, that's just my mind. And I would write five, six, seven sentences. And someone read one of my early screenplays and was like, no one's going to get to page 10 on this, buddy. It's going to feel like a real thick read. But if no description you do is more than two lines, you're going to be fine because your script is going to fly. And since then, I've always gone back and been like, no, 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 and formatted my script. So it was a very easy read. Yeah, white space. You want a lot of white space on your pay, especially, again, if you're writing for spec. If you're writing for yourself, if you're Judd Apatow, you can do whatever the hell you want <laughs> because you're, you've already gotten your movie made before a script exists but if you're a screenwriter trying to get into the screenwriting game you want white space on your page because honestly even just on a selfish level because i've done some script reading and i've had friends who've actually worked in offices and done script reading like one the first thing someone's going to do when they look at your script is they're going to turn to the last page and see how long it is yep <laughs> and, if, and if you're writing for spec and it's like above like 110 pages they're going to be like Ugh. if it's above 100 pages they might be like ugh. If it's like 140 pages, they might even not read it at all. And then especially, again, like, yeah, if they're flipping through and it's just blocks and blocks and blocks of text, people are going to be like, no, I don't, I don't want to read this. <laughs> like, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. This sucks. And that's that kind of thinking is important. Daniel and I were talking once. I didn't learn until – and I don't know that I still learned, but I didn't learn until way late that when you write an email to someone, it should be super short or it's never going to get answered. Because it shows you don't respect their time. I also studied screenwriting in school. And I think the most interesting thing about it, and maybe the most beautiful thing about it, is it's the most accessible entrance into filmmaking because it requires nothing but your time and concentration. And I think that's super important, especially for young filmmakers who want to make it. Because it, I think filmmaking seems like an inaccessible thing sometimes. And just putting words to page is like the step toward creating something and it requires nothing there's no nothing monetary just time and circumstance are all that are in your way that i think is fascinating that doesn't mean it'll get read but it's the, the concept that this thing you can do to be creative and move toward making 
something is a doable thing in most all circumstances, I think is really cool. And I also really like, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts, is that minus the technical aspect of how you format a script, there is no correct way. I've had professors that live and die by a single book that they think is sort of the, if you're going to read, read one book about screenwriting, read this one. And other professors who think that it's the biggest hunk of garbage, they would never recommend anyone read it. And they're, they're upset that people read it because it ruins how they write. It's kind of like Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. But within that, I think that's, it's so exciting to find your voice in terms of what you are the screenwriter that you're working with when you're collaborating sort of moves to. And you do find that, as Connor was saying, when you're, when you're reading people's stuff, I'm very taken by finding people's voices in their script. To me, that makes for exciting collaboration. But at the same time, I've worked with plenty of people who want this canvas that they get a paint on, where it's it's still collaboration, but it is it is their vision is going to... And so, whereas I'm more attracted to people with a very strong voice from the get-go that I get to kind of partner with, I think that's an exciting thing when doing that type of stuff. Even with the format thing, what you were talking about, even with format, there's flexibility. That was going to be... I had two tips for beginner people this episode. One is format, which is you should just read some existing screenplays. But even within those, you'll notice that there's differences. You know, people will use different types of lines in certain ways. I like that because somehow that makes it feel more inviting to a degree where there's not this standard that you have to absolutely nail to create something that's worthwhile. We, I think a lot of times in all things art, we get hung up on the technical merits of something. Is it being good if it looks like something else you've seen? And a screenplay, you can I can do it in Google Docs and format it to look like a script it should be smooth though that's the big thing for format it should be readable but in terms of like the art of screenwriting overall I, to me i take it as such a the screenplay is the first draft the production is the second draft and there's just like 10 drafts of a movie and so it's so important to me i like to write i like to write for myself but i've written for other people and i've seen how my work changes with them and i like that at the same time because it's so interesting to watch sort of how someone takes something but i try to relate to people's differences and how they approach their work but discrediting what a screenwriter does, even if it's, you know, a script that was purchased and that person is no longer involved at all, is very bizarre to me. And, and seeing some of the ways people shift stuff or try to, like, take the credit for other people's work as if it was lesser is bizarre to me in that regard. My aside in the opening when I introduced myself had to do with the fact that I remember at AFI just how less so the students and weirdly more so house when some people would come in. If they were more director first people... We had a couple of people, I'll go ahead and name drop them because I don't really like any of his films that I've seen, is uh, Inuritu, I remember, come and talk to us. And I remember him being specifically dismissive of screenwriting in a way that all of the writers were kind of like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> like, huh, that's, that's funny. We don't like that. <laughs> that sucks. Film is so uniquely collaborative and it's it's something that even if you, you don't want to put pen to paper, you have no interest in that world, you'll meet people who are incredibly gifted and get to like feed off of their creativity to then make your thing better for it. So it's very strange to be dismissive of any part of it. I wonder having written and directed and enjoying both about equally and edited. I wonder if directors feel threatened by screenwriters because they want people to think that the movie is their themes, their voice, their obsession. And when you're doing someone else's screenplay, well, that's also their, the screenwriter's themes, the screenwriter's obsessions. It's the only position, like major position that 
I think a person outside of the movie would assume a greater or equal sense of authorship. The final card of an opening credit is a so-and-so film. They always make it, the last thing you see is the director. That's a conversation for another thing. I don't like when movies do that, personally. Kevin Smith, whatever you want to fault him with, he's never done that, and he specifically talks about how he thinks it's too collaborative to say that this is a Kevin Smith film, and I actually respect the hell out of that, and I believe in the exact same thing. The director's the name that, you know, my parents might know maybe you already have that so to take that anything else from the people you're collaborating with seems to be a negative for me you know i i took a chance back in high school a high school teacher really wanted me to do some script writing and i i dabbled in it in a little bit uh, all i did was write the concept and the story and plot and i never fully done it until god like 10 years later currently writing a script right now it's not good but it's something Screenwriting is the most important thing for a movie, you know? I was watching Trombone a couple weeks ago, and that has to do a lot about screenwriters back in the 40s and 50s, how they got blacklisted because they hide stuff in their contacts for stuff, and they were communists, and uh, half of those guys weren't in that uh, world. They were just screenwriters, and a lot of screenwriters got hurt by those things, and uh, they were blacklisted, and that was a big thing that that ever happened. And it's funny, too, Edwin, because I've seen how you make movies, And I think you specifically come from a director point of view where you are coming up with a shot and an idea and you're kind of discovering it on the set and in production. You you sort of come up with the idea and then you want to go out and make it, which I totally get, which is the way I mean, the way they used to make movies in the silent era. Charlie Chaplin would be like, I got these actors in this set. I have kind of a premise and I'm going to go figure it out with everybody on the set. Um, Whereas screenwriting is to some extent a very solitary act because you're in a room for 90 days or a year, however long or years, and you write something and then you give it to people, you get the reactions, you rewrite it. And eventually you go, I think this is good. I think this is as good as I can get it. And you you put it out into the world. There's so much art to screenwriting. And I'll give just a few examples. Uh, One of the most obvious examples is dialogue. A script, I would really point out people are a movie is Patty Chayefsky's network, where Sidney Lumet was so aware that this movie worked because of Patty Chayefsky that I believe the movie's known as Patty Chayefsky's network. And at the very least, I believe there's a, a very special shared title card in that movie. There's just no separating Patty Chayefsky's script from why that movie works. The dialogue is very heightened. People have monologues. Ned Beatty, rest in peace, who just passed away uh, this week, has one of the greatest monologues in the movie. He plays sort of the conglomerate corporation bigwig, and he only appears at the end of the movie. And he tries to convince Howard Rourke, the TV news anchor, to go a certain way. And he carries what I think is at least a two to three page monologue to be able, A, to write a two to three page monologue that people want to watch. And then two, to have it be hilarious the whole time, that's screenwriting. That's not a director. If you actually look at the way that Lamette shoots that, he does the right thing. He shoots it with a few different angles, but it's mostly just on Ned Beatty delivering Patty Chayefsky's dialogue. Other dialogue, I'd point out people, although there's so many screenwriters here, but Ben Hecht was considered the Shakespeare of screenwriting. He was a hard-boiled newspaper man, but Ben Hecht wrote like His Girl Friday. His name is on all these comedies and dramas of the 30s and 40s, and often when 
when people talk about why don't they write dialogue that way anymore? It's often in reaction to how Ben Hecht and uh, the Algonquin Circle and all these writers would just write this delicious, delicious dialogue that was just fun to say. Look at, I mean, Casablanca, just filled with delicious, chewy lines. And I'm not, listen, I am not a Puritan and I never want to be. God, I hope I never am. A swearing can be an art form. I mean, look at Goodfellas. Or I never saw it, but I know David Milch's Deadwood is supposed to be brilliant with the writing and, and how the Ian McShane character swears. One thing I bemoan or lament these days is I watch a lot of movies where there's a lot of F, 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 F. And then I'm like, uh, that's not really screenwriting. <laughs> that's not really dialogue. This, this last week, I've been doing a rewatch of the X-Men films, which is a whole other conversation. But I rewatched Logan, which is one of the few R-rated movies this week. And both Logan, Hugh Jackman's character, and Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier have a lot of F-words in it. And I thought about how Seven, the David Fincher movie, if you go and watch that movie, Brad Pitt's character is F this, F that, F, 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 F. And Morgan Freeman says like two cuss words the entire film. And that's screenwriting. Because that says everything about the character. And that, that was something like, I like Logan, but I think it's kind of overrated. And I think the fact that they're having Charles Xavier say all these F-words doesn't make sense and is bad characterization and is bad writing. Whereas opposed to if they had had Logan say a bunch of them and then it had Charles Xavier say like one, it would have like emphasized that moment and it would have felt more like a character choice as opposed to a choice to make because it's an R-rated movie and you can have the character say F-words. I'm less inclined to not like something for language, but I do think so much of your examples, I think, speak to characters and how those characters' vocabulary dictates their arc. And then I think that's effective. When I was in school, the themes people jumped to so often were themes, I think, of stuff that they liked but had never experienced. And obviously that doesn't make any sense for some stuff. I've never experienced a heist, but I would love to, you know, maybe make a heist thing. But the subject matter, I think... When you're getting started, it's it's very easy to try and replicate things that you love. But if you kind of look at things personally that you understand, I think you really find a foundation around characters that make for stronger stuff to get started. And then that sort of opens up your mind creatively to then find more imaginary things. At least that worked well for me and something that I turn back to when I'm in a rut is to try and go personal or sort of shift personal into fantasy by keeping it in something that makes sense to me, but then shifting it to something I've researched, say. Even that personal thing, because that was something I struggled with a lot because I don't think Personally, I have that interesting of a life, which isn't a bad thing. It's more of a good thing. It's more that I just haven't had these tons of hardships and issues to deal with, you know, and I frankly, I feel like people are kind of overseeing movies about white people deal with anxiety. But I think that personal <laughs> thing can also just be something you care about, too. That's where you get like social stuff. That's where I come from a lot of times, which is almost like the George Romero thing of you take a sort of social or cultural issue and then you put these sort of genre trappings on top of it. So people look at it and like, oh, that's a movie about zombies in a mall, but it's really a movie about like consumerism and American culture. I, maybe it was ego was always a do this by myself type of writer. And in the last few years, especially over the last year in COVID, I, I did some co-writing with people just as like a fun exercise, especially with, with people with different experiences in their life than you, you find really interesting angles to come at things together that I think make for sometimes stronger storytelling and content and characters because it's things that, though you may be aware of them, Edwin has a different upbringing and worldview than I do. And so putting our two brains together creates interesting things. So sometimes I think if you're struggling with something, maybe working with someone else can move you through that. <gasps>
in terms of people that I look up to, I was I was I tried to not look at writer directors or not the movies that they directed because I think that's almost an entirely different conversation. But in the world of like screenwriting, I think there's people that have taken. I look at like Lawrence Kasdan, who has directed things, but in terms of his screenwriting run, he sort of took blockbusters, which are not usually equated with having brilliant screenplays, but then gave us you know Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which are sort of the mold of great blockbusters. He might use like the hero's journey and things that are known that you learn in, in your reading of things. But his his focus in character over plotting, I think, is, is so important. And I think of modern people like I'm obsessed Richard Linklater, who just seems to jump from genre to genre, but is always about character to a point that some of my favorite movies about him are just two people having conversations, which is a talent I don't really understand how you can pull off, how you can have 90 minutes of people literally walking and talking. And it'd be some of the most engaging thing because it's all built in these characters. Or you get people like Elaine May, who has some crazy directing credit. She only made three movies, uh, which we'll talk, because I know Edwin just saw one of hers. But stuff like The Birdcage with Robin Williams, like talking about social things in a time where they're, you tiptoe around them, but instead make this very proud thing about a social issue and bring in people that the public looks at fondly to tell those stories. You get Robin Williams, mid-90s, kind of top of his game, and bring him into something about gay men that now people will maybe watch with a different eye because they're like, wait, I know him. This is different than what I'm expecting. And finally, I I always turn back to Albert Brooks, which is cheating because he directed a lot of stuff and starred in it. But his understanding of not only what he was good at, but the way he would let other actors in his screenplays and his directing be just as big of a part of the last as he was. He understood how you share the screen because he has starring directed by and written by, but is somehow so great at knowing how to share those moments and not make it seem like an ego thing. And again, rooted all in character. I think I'm just revealing to myself that I'm a very character based person. I think that when you have a focus in character and you're things I'm very drawn to that because in the, the characters work your movie can make no sense to a degree and you still sort of forgive it because like oh I love spending time with these people movies are storytelling and to me story is a combination of three things plot plus character plus theme and you can obviously have different mixtures of that you can have movies that are like maybe only 10% plot and very character and theme driven or you have a lot of blockbusters the theme is you know maybe like 10 to 20% of it and it's mostly character and plot as much as I like when writing when it comes to theme when I think about the evil dead as my favorite movie I'm not exactly sure what the <laughs> themes of the evil dead are I guess it's that everything dies maybe I'm not sure how to thematically analyze that I don't know if you guys have ever had that where sometimes your favorite films don't necessarily reflect the kind of things you want to do are they the evil dead does reflect things I want to do but in a very specific on a kind of technical visceral level you know Akira Kurosawa said and I always recommend people read his something like an autobiography it's one of the most informative helpful books on filmmaking I've ever read and he you know he was a writer among everything else and he wrote a number of his first films by himself and he was a brilliant writer but he realized that if he kept doing that he was just going to make Akira Kurosawa movies he was going to start repeating himself so what he would do is he would bring on one or two other writers often who had totally different voices but were brilliant and they would all fight in a room for about four weeks he'd always come in with the idea but often his co-writers would come up with brilliant structural things and he just maintained the ability to veto. And then they would go and write different things and they'd come back and they would eventually go to an inn in like outside of Tokyo and for two weeks just like nail out the screenplay and he would just smoke a cigarette and look at Koi, he said, and call his family and that was it till the screenplay was done. But he discovered that he got a three-dimensional screenplay if he wrote with other writers. I think if you look, for instance, at like Fellini and Kurosawa and a few of the other great, great directors, they actually are good writers in and of themselves. Fellini 
Mussolini started as a writer, but they brought other people in to actually write fuller things with points of view and perspectives that they wouldn't have. And I think the temptation or the danger of the writer-director is I just want my name all over this thing. And I think that the greatest writer-directors will give their screenplays to other people, get a new one torn. This is this is my process. I give out my first drafts to people thinking it's good, and I always get a new one torn. And they're always like, Craig, what the F? Like, this doesn't work. And I can hear it. That doesn't work. I inevitably weep, uh, not in front of anybody else, but I'm like, oh. And then I go back and I rewrite. And it's usually in the second or the third draft because people pushed me and people challenged me and people told me what wasn't good that I discover what it was. I, I make something better. You know, when people talk about screenwriting, I think they sometimes maybe have a misunderstanding that, oh, you know, it, it isn't cinematic. It's like a play. And then everybody else makes it cinematic. And I want to like challenge that right away. If you look at Kurosawa's script for Akuru, which is one of the greatest movies ever made, and I'm not giving anything away because this happens in the midpoint of the movie, but our main character learns he's dying of cancer at the very beginning of the film, and he dies in the middle of the film. He die, And you're like, what? And it jumps to his wake. And the second half of the movie is everybody at his funeral talking about what happened in the last six months of his life, which we haven't seen. It's like one of the most amazing ellipses ever. And then it, it jumps back and we learn more about him in flashback. And Kurosawa said that was discovered in the screenwriting. And the moment they decided to do that, this really radical thing, which was kill their main character in the middle of the movie and make the second half of the screenplay his funeral and then go back with everyone's recollection at the funeral, suddenly it became cinema. And I would just tell people that was not discovered in the editing. That was not something that was discovered on set. That was not something that the director decided to do later. That was in the screenplay before they ever shot the movie. And that is as much cinema as anything anybody else does. And I've experienced that. I often experience great cinematic moments. Like I I wrote a sequence that, you know, I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day. I'll I'll have to do it differently. I was 19, (laughs) weirdly, and it was still one of my favorite sequences. As I ever wrote But one of my main characters Was a high school screenplay She went to go see the dentist And she was really Messed up About some of the Sexual decisions She was making in her life And while she was sitting In this chair Getting a routine Dentist cleaning And the dentist Was talking about her And kind of ignoring her He was saying things That was causing her To remember things And by the end of this moment Like you were going Back and forth In her head In the dentist chair And at the end of the thing She was just like She was really emotionally Worked up And I was really Emotionally worked up And I don't know Where that came from But that was a Screenplay idea That was not a directorial idea. That was a screenplay idea. I find writing the most uncomfortable thing in the world, personally. I love doing it, but 95%, 99% of what I write is awful. I have to go through a lot of emotion. I have to weep a lot. I got to beat myself up. And eventually, if I push myself hard enough, something good comes out of it. Quentin Tarantino, he's my favorite screenwriter because half the stuff in his movies are like just reference to other stuff he's seen or heard or watched in other movies. I think the big one that I like the most is Jackie Brown. Probably has some of the best writing I've ever heard in the movie, especially from Quentin Tarantino movie. It's one of his only screenplays that has another strong authorial voice in it, and that's Elmore Leonard. So you have Elmore Leonard and Quentin Tarantino, and together they produce Jackie Brown. My other big tip, probably the biggest tip for if you're a screenwriter, is structure. If you're a beginner, if you've never done anything before, you shouldn't be a slave to structure. 
but you should know what structure is. And it would probably be a good idea if you, at first you did write things very structured because it kind of makes you understand why the structure exists. Because even if you watch movies that you don't think have a structure, they do. Like somebody at some point was sitting there and gave that movie a skeleton three-act structure is what usually gets touted around a lot and I remember having friends be like oh so restrictive yeah especially like in high school and talking about it with my my other like art friends and in a weird way three-act structure I think is kind of like almost natural to human storytelling because really it is just beginning middle end and how you interpret that exactly it's set up the meteor story and then the conclusion of your story. And this is a really reductive thing to say, but I heard someone describe it and I thought it was helpful as act one is getting your character up the tree. Act two is throwing stones at your character. And then act three is getting your character out of the tree. It definitely feels reductive, but I think people who feel like that's reductive are viewing it as a cage, but really structure is a support. It's the parachute you get to be able to do all the like cool stuff you want to do. I always think of it as uh, bumpers and bowling. Like they're there to help, but in the end, you're still going to hit the pins. Wow, I hate myself for saying that. Nothing gets people talking more reductively than talking about screenwriting. I have this experience like everyone has their little sayings and little jivvy jives that they like to give off about how things, but that's just the truth. It, it always goes like that. That's the biggest tip. Never tell someone you're writing something till it's done because there's nothing worse than being told by people that I'm writing something big. <laughs> I wanted to shout out for movies slash director writers people like that for various reasons one of my favorite movies that doesn't have any genre elements is the squid and the whale by noah bombach which i think is like a great a really well structured movie it's 80 minutes long and i bet there's 100 scenes which if you think about that means like every scene in that movie is probably like half a page maybe a page the squid and the whale i think one of the reasons i like is it's kind of the evil dead but without supernatural stuff because it's like emotional terrorism (laughs) just like the worst very hard to watch My other favorite movie that isn't really a genre movie is Election, the Alexander Payne movie. One of the reasons I love that movie is it has such a strong thematic through line where it's about morals versus ethics. And specifically, there are four main characters and you can literally plot the characters on a grid of one character has morals and ethics, one character has neither, and the other two, one has morals but no ethics, one has ethics but no morals. Is Chris Klein the one who has morals and ethics? Yes, yeah. and Matthew Broderick <laughs> is the one with neither. And so at the end of the movie, Matthew Broderick is in a bad place, both on the outside and the inside, where Chris Klein's on a good place. The women are probably the more interesting, where Reese Witherspoon has ethics but no morals, and the other girl, Chris Klein's sister, she has morals but no ethics. And at the end of the movie, it looks like the sister is in a worse place and Reese Witherspoon is in a better place from the outside, but internally it's switched and the sister is actually in a better place as a person on the inside. Another big screenplay thing is set up and payoff. And I think maybe the king of that right now is Edgar Wright. Everything in his movie is either set up or payoff which is exactly what it sounds like. It's like every part of the Buffalo sort of thing where you're making every single line, every single moment is either setting up something for later on or is paying off something from earlier on. Lastly, I was just going to shout out something we didn't talk about at all is the process of adaptation. Adaptation is its, is its own art. I think probably the best adaptations ever made are the Lord of the Rings movies. When you look at the scale of what they were adapting and what they were able to bring about, 
And those movies are very faithful, but they're at the same time not. And it's interesting to know the things that they did in order to carry forward the sort of base idea and emotions of those books while still making them movies. And so we're not going to do... Um, What's his Tom name? Tom Bombadil. You got to cut for the movies. Tom's got to go. Yeah. One of the most befuddling, the Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite books of all time. It's in my top 10. And the Tom Bombadil thing, I kind of get, I wouldn't say take it out. It's almost a challenge to the reader. It's a prime example of what works in books versus movies, I think. And we should explain in Fellowship of the Ring, before the adventure really gets going, about a hundred pages are devoted to this timeless character in a forest called Tom Bombadil. In fact, his purpose seems to be that he's outside of the whole conflict and that he's just not really affected by it at all, almost to remind you that the conflict is just of a time and place and to take a bigger point of view, I think that's the purpose he serves but you're like when does the adventure start in this book i think it totally works in the book but it would totally not have worked in the movie <laughs> the first two hours we're just hanging with tom lord of the rings is kind of like that anyways because there is like a pretty long period of time where you're just kind of hanging out in the shire but it would have been like you had that and then you had another hour of them hanging <laughs> out somewhere else also i think screenwriting is the thing we've done that i could probably talk the most about not necessarily specific screenwriters but just talking about you know i mean i never even talked about my process on a personal level because I think me and you might be very different Craig because I'm very much so when I start writing I just go like I get those images of cats on keyboards I just fire <laughs> away at it and get it out as quick as possible and then I go through it a bunch and sort of refine 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 no I believe that too for my first draft and I get more and more like that actually I got a lot out of Stephen King's on writing I love writing the first draft and I don't editorialize I don't censor myself I don't do any of that although I do collect a bunch of ideas and I do have an outline, which I'm at, and certain, sometimes I may follow it or not, but I think it's more, I always want to think that I nailed it. <laughs> I think out of laziness and I always have to give it to other people and I always have to hear their reaction that you didn't nail it. And then I have to go, okay, well, I have to really wrestle with it. I am the same way at a certain point. To the degree that sometimes I have to completely step away from something I'm doing because I need to be able to see it. Because sometimes when your nose is in the script and you're just writing lines of dialogue, you can't see the forest for the trees. Not to get reductive again. But until you can see that you at a certain point you stop doing any good and you're just wasting your time <laughs> changing pieces of dialogue and moving scenes around if you've never done it before if you've never written a screenplay before just know the first couple things you're gonna write are gonna be total garbage and you're gonna hate them and you're gonna hate yourself and you're going to keep writing and it's not going to seem like you're changing but people outside of you will probably be able to notice that change and will be able to compliment. And in a weird converse to what, what Craig was saying, and but I think you would agree with this, at the same time, if you send your script out to five people and four people say it's great and one person doesn't, there's also like the opposite side of like being too hard on yourself. You have to recognize sometimes that maybe you wrote a script that's not for that person, <laughs> that it's the kind of movie they wouldn't like anyways. But I think Stephen King says that, which is super helpful, which is when he gives it out to people, if one or two people are like, I hated it, he's like, oh, okay. But if 10 out of the 12 people he gave it to were like, this doesn't work. That's a problem. If you hear one person say, I think this character should be a doctor and not a lawyer, and then you don't hear anybody else say that, you can probably ignore that person.
even <laughs> negative critiques of stuff don't make that person right. Yeah, you eventually find that you, you feel it out, but just because someone gives you a note on something doesn't mean that thing has to change. I think it's constructive to think about it and talk about it with them to see what it does, to, how it makes you feel about you in the story. But I also think it's weird to change everything someone says, which can be a problem. And like try to understand where that note is coming from. Because sometimes, again, they'll give the note, I think you should be a doctor instead of a lawyer. And then really what the note is, is you need to do a better job of establishing why the character is a lawyer in the story. And make sure you thank and hug anyone who will read a screenplay because it's um, you were burdened with purpose when asked and it's very kind of people. Screenwriting is so weird. It's, I love it. I love to talk about it, but I also hate it as like a, a topic of conversation because it is such a strange, the joke of like oh, someone in a coffee shop with final draft open is true. And <laughs> I am not a public writer. I don't get people who can write in public. I need to be able to like lay down and walk around and like yell at myself. And like, yeah, I'm the same. I do all my writing privately. I, I don't I don't think I'm making fun of them. I think I'm scared of them. Yeah, what power do they possess <laughs> that they can write some sort of screenplay in like a, a coffee shop? It's insanity. I'm a note card guy and I like to connect things with string and I, Rachel, my wife says that it looks kind of like a um, serial killer planning a <laughs> she could say I'm a detective solving something, but she always goes the opposite way, which is that I'm planning a giant string of murders. Another, I mean, like I said, I could keep getting advice. That's another piece of advice is figure out what the thing for you is. I'm like a note person where I, I have like tons of notebooks all around my apartment with notes for dozens of different screenplays. And usually then I have to then, when I actually sit down to write a first draft, I have to kind of coalesce everything. It's, it's weird writing a script because I feel like high school again. Like for some reason, the one of the characters I'm doing, I'm basically describing him as me because I put the elements of man, dude, stoner guy, basically me. So this person that we got to play this character, it's going to essentially play me in some different type of role. In reality, you're always writing about yourself. When I went to film school, I had already written at 19 this script, which I got really close to making, or who knows how close, but actually close to making in my late 20s. I'll talk about it another time. It was supposed to be co-financed by MTV and Paramount. It was a real heartbreak. It was called Four Corners. But the original script... I had written at 19, and I believe it was horribly formatted and about 230 pages. And uh, yeah, I got a mentor at my film school. I decided that I was going to get two credits were going to be me punching up this script. And my mentor was Mardik Martin, who co-wrote Mean Streets, Raging Bull. He was incredible, and he happened to be at my film school. And Mardik is Iranian, uh, or he was, he's passed away. And I go to him, and I was like, would you be my mentor? And I think probably because he got paid, because uh, like if he became my mentor, he get paid. He was like, okay, Craig, I will read your script. So he goes and he reads my script and he came back and he read all 230 pages of this unformatted thing. And he was like, okay, Craig, first, I think you are someone who likes to look at their navel. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, you look at your belly button a lot in this script. And I was like, I knew immediately what he meant, but he was really kind. He told me exactly what I needed to hear, which was like, this is really indulgent. But he did it constructively. And over the next six months, I went back, I'd rewrite the script, I'd come back to him, and he'd be like, it is getting better. And then I'd like, but he'd give me more notes. And at the end of that six months, I had a 117-page screenplay that, you know, I mean, again, who knows how close I was, but it got some traction, yada, yada, yada. And I never would have gotten to that point if someone, one, hadn't been honest with me. 
but two, been honest in a constructive way. He wasn't mean. He wasn't biting or he didn't shut me down. He was just like really kind. <laughs> he was like, you got to get on this. Uh, rest in peace, Marty. God bless you. I remember you were my first real mentor in writing and you taught me tons. And then then I remember the last story I'll tell about Marty was he pulled out an original script of Mean Streets, which was originally called Season of the Witch, and he signed it for me. And what he signed was, Craig, you have what it takes, Mardik. But then when he handed it to me, he was like, yeah, I just write that. It doesn't mean anything. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had his Season of the Witch thing, and yeah, he wrote it. So, But he, he let me know. He's like, I just write those things. You know, I don't know what to write. God bless you, Mardik. Pop culture and final thoughts. Who wants to go first? Went to the draft house yesterday. Pretty cool. Loved it. Saw Corella again. Didn't like it the second time now. Has some problems. I just wanted them to say f multiple times. I don't know why. Then I saw The Fugitive. It was awesome. Movie stopped halfway through. Projector went down. I got a pass. I got a ticket for Ishtar tonight. So I'm going to watch that. I rented two movies from the draft house. I watched a movie called The Last Dinosaur about Richard Boom obsesses of killing a T-Rex and being disgraceful towards women. And says my favorite line in the whole movie, Yeah, ding dong! Like, someone someone got paid to wrote that. I love calling people ding dongs. Yeah, this is hilarious. Hilarious concept. And yeah, and yeah, I'm writing a script. It's almost done. I just got to finish it up tonight. Uh, I watched We Bought a Zoo. Nice! Matt Damon! Uh, how was that? It's like the Cameron Crow. I, ha I haven't seen a few. That's one of them. Honestly, I've been making fun of it since it came out. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's actually, it's quite, <laughs> it's very safe and like cozy and lovely. There's a, a scene, a scene where a, a, a teenager who's mad punts a snake across the yard, which is just like the strangest thing to keep in the movie. And then, like, a few minutes later, like, the youngest daughter, who's been, like, coping with the loss of her mother, kind of, in the movie, has, like, a spiritual breakthrough with that concept. So there's some very strange twists and turns. I'll also, they, and they, they say we bought a zoo multiple times in the movie, which is a good thing. And then I, I also saw In the Heights, which was, like, a sold-out theater. The mass stuff hasn't changed yet, so still, like, I think a 50% capacity experience. But it was, like, the return that I think, if people are getting comfortable going back to the movies, it's this type of stuff that I think is going to make them come back more and more because it was people singing and applauding and just like I think ecstatic to not only see this type of thing on the screen with people but also uh, sort of an interesting thing about the type of audience that was there and like the representation on screen which I, many people much smarter than me will write about. It's like very like moving. I thought the movie was good and like the audience was made it all the more moving. And I think it's on HBO Max as well if you're not comfortable with, the, with theaters. It's definitely something worth a watch if musicals are your cup of this week, Loki came out. It was good. First episode. Very Terry Gilliam, Douglas Adams-y. I also watched Tony Scott's first film, The Hunger, which I liked quite a bit. His weird vampire movie with David Bowie and Susan Sarandon and Catherine Denevue. Really good stuff. And I stream video games at twitch.tv slash Cruz, usually Thursdays and Saturdays. I got all sorts of clips on there you can check out. We did Boogie Nights twice at the Secret Movie Club Theater on 35mm, um, and it was a great print. Thank you, New Line and Warners. I'm the projectionist right now, and I watch it through the booth, so I can't watch it like people in the theater, and I'm really looking forward to when we have 
have the money so that I can hire projectionists so I can go back outside. Although that's a different experience because you're always on pins and needles that something's going to go wrong in the booth. I think when you run the show, you can't enjoy it because when you're at another theater, it's someone else's problem. But when you're at your own theater, it is your problem constantly. But uh, when we were doing Boogie Nights, I was watching it through the booth and I noticed something I never noticed before, which is in the first reel after the opening nightclub scene and everyone's going home, you see Mark Wahlberg walk out and you see little Bill, William H. Macy's character, go to his car. And I was like, is that little Bill? And because you're in the booth, you're watching it. And he goes to his car and he gets a parking ticket. And then he's like really furious that he got the parking ticket in the background. And I was like, what a great detail, because that says so much about little Bill's character. He just is so unlucky the whole film and everything is just going wrong for him the entire film. You know, that's just something that you're going to see in a theater. And you, you see that in this crane shot, Paul Thomas Anderson had coordinated everything. So little Bill gets a parking ticket in the back. And I was just a joy. I, the other thing I'll piggyback on that is that being the projectionist now, I'm starting to think in terms of reels, which is like amazing to me. I'm so glad in my brain. I'm like, oh, here's real one. What are they going to do in real two? And then I'm like, real three, real four is the midpoint. I'm like, they better have a pretty good sequence here at real three, real four. And then when I'm pulling out real five, real six, if it's a two hour one, I'm like, okay, they better be taking it home now. And you start to think in 20 minutes increments of the movie. And I've begun to realize that every 20 minutes, you got to have something dynamite. Because as the projectionist, if it's a great movie, there was something on every reel. And there is something on every reel in Boogie Nights. Every reel has has a sequence. You know, thank you, film, for getting me to think that way again. Now I'm, I'm almost like, talk about screenwriting, reel one, reel two, reel three. And if it's an eight-reel picture, which Boogie Nights is, it better justify those eight reels. But I would say that Boogie Nights is an eight-reel picture, Uncut Gems is an eight-reel picture, and Goodfellas is an eight-reel picture, and they all fly by. All right, guys, uh, thank you again for another great podcast. As we said this week on Friday, when you hear this at the theater, at the Secret Movie Club Theater, we'll be doing Age of Innocence, Magnificent Ambersons. On Saturday, we'll be doing the first three Indiana Jones movies on archive 35 millimeter prints at the Million Dollar Theater, Raiders, Temple, Crusade. And then uh, next week, we're going to do some comedy, Airplane, Top Secret, and Naked Gun. And then uh, the last Saturday of June, we're going to be doing two or three Kubrick movies, but we have one confirmed already, Barry Linden on 35. And then we want you to make some short films. So please go to secretmovieclub.com. You'll see in the menu, it now says, uh, I think SMC and channel 35 short film fest 2021. Uh, you can also just go to any of our social media, but the rules and regs are real simple, but we want you to make short films and submit them. Five minutes or fewer, the theme is Los Angeles Rises. You can interpret that however you want. Uh, make it for a budget of $200 or less, and then just submit it by July 12, 2021. We will pick 12 selected shorts. They'll play for a year on Channel 35. LA is Channel 35. You'll get paid 100 bucks. Just make sure everything is cleared, licensable, or in the public domain. You can find out more about it. And finally, next week... We are going to be talking about anime. We've done an animation episode, but that was more focused on Disney. And this time we're going to dive into anime, which for all intents and purposes could be defined as the kind of animation that's been coming out of Japan for decades and decades, which itself was very influenced by the Japanese manga, which is not really equatable to the American comic book, but they do share similarities. So we're just going to talk about anime because we did two animes this past week. We did Cowboy 
Cowboy Bebop the movie and then the 2001 Metropolis, which was based actually on a manga from the 1940s. And it just it was so stunning to me again from the booth that I was like, I got to talk about this because it's a whole different way of filmmaking. Uh, and as always, you can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. You can go to our website, uh, secretmovieclub.com, find out about everything. Everything you listen to is edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who in a moment I'm going to talk about the final bit of creative content we haven't gotten out, which is Attack of the Giant Leeches. God willing, in the next week or two, we'll be getting that out and then bringing the resistance back there in improv too. They totally redubbed this public domain movie directed by Gene Corman, Roger Corman's brother. We've been sitting on that for months. We're going to finally try to get it out. But Connor Lloyd Cruz, who you know from the podcast, he is editing everything. The only reason all this original content's getting out is because of Connor. So thank you, Connor. Always, always, always. And that's it. All right, guys. Have a good week. Peace. Bye. 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 Thank you.